Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I love that hymn. I love all those Christmas uh, Thanksgiving hymns and Christmas too. Really, really love those Thanksgiving hymns. It, it brings back such a, a just a, a wave of, of memories. And um, I remember singing those hymns in church when I was a little boy. And I think of my grandparents, my maternal grandparents, who are the best people in the whole world. Simple, simple folks. Grandma was from northern Minnesota, or actually from Wisconsin, from Superior, Wisconsin, and lived up there on the shores of Gitche and was a nurse in a mental hospital for years and years and years in, in northern Wisconsin. And Grandpa worked at a hardware store. He was a very simple man. He loved to smoke camel cigarettes, and he loved to fish, and he loved to drink the cheapest beer he could possibly find. Grandpa used to joke that he would keep his cases of long neck bottles in the, in the uh, stairway up to the attic because he liked his beer warm in the summer and cold in the winter. And then he'd smile, his teeth being very brown from all the nicotine and tar from smoking. But, but Thanksgiving was always a really cool time. When we were kids, um, we'd go and it was about the food. It was about grandma's turkey and how she could make it just better than anyone else. She had sage stuffing that was made with this kind of sagey sausage. It was just fantastic. My wife makes it and it's wonderful, but it's not quite grandma's. And I don't know what grandma had. Maybe it was the low elevation in Northern Wisconsin, but maybe it was the cigarette smoke from grandpa's cigarette. I don't know. But But I think of that and my grandma, on the one hand, being a marvelous baker, and the cookies that she would make were just fantastic. She'd make sugar cookies about three inches round, and, and then she'd freeze them and put them in her uh, back, the freezer on the back porch. And, and then she'd say, well, I suppose we have to have a sugar cookie now that we ate. And, and she was famous for two conversations during dinner or breakfast or whatever meal it was. And we'd finish breakfast, which was always bacon and eggs, and she would always say, well, you know, that's thick-cut bacon there, Tim. That's the good kind. Wow. And she would say, well, now what are we going to have for lunch? And we haven't even finished breakfast yet. Never had a dishwasher. We, Grandma, we're stuffed. You, you made way more food than we could ever eat. And then, and then she was famous not only for planning her meals as she went, but then she would say, well, you ate quite a bit. Are you putting on some LBs? And I'm like, well, Grandma, you just fed me a thousand calories of bacon and homemade bread and homemade jam, and um, it's just awesome. And, and then she'd say, well, you know, you can always have another cookie. And I'm like, well, you're getting fat, have a cookie, you're getting fat, homemade jam, you're getting fat, homemade bread. And... But when we sing those hymns, that's where I go back to. I go back to Grandma's house. There's a profound sense of love in that house, in that system. Simple people living a simple life. Very, very grateful people. Grandpa's education probably didn't get much more into 10th or 11th grade, if that. He had to go to work in the mid-30s and worked on a farm. And He taught me how to tithe. He never made probably $25,000 in his life, but every nickel he made, he tithed on. He'd put his envelope in the church offering and he'd say this is how you do it my wife and I in our professional life we've tithed on every penny we've made never ran out of money never ran out of stuff 
had apprehensive moments but never quit on God and said, well, we're not going to give today because we don't have enough always. But I learned that from a man who probably never in his life made more than $250,000, maybe if that. That's where I go. In their later years, Thanksgiving was a whole different thing because grandma couldn't bake like she used to. She couldn't see. Her body had been worn out from nursing and walking and all of the things that go with that. She was too prideful to get her knees and hips replaced, so her body just kind of gave out underneath her. And, and we knew that we were in trouble uh, when, when two things happened. One was when her famous stuffing was so liquidy that I looked at the bird and I poured it out and... And Grandma said, what's wrong with that? And I said, oh, Grandma, it's going to be just fine. And it was gross. <laughs> we had a little extra in the oven that we had done to take care of. And then when dessert came, Grandma always prided herself on the pies. And, and the pies were, again, so liquid that when you poured it out, they were, you cut the pieces. It, the consistency wasn't there, but the taste was wonderful. You could just eat it with a straw. It was just a whole different thing. <laughs> but I say that because my grandparents delivered to me a sense of thanksgiving and gratitude and not of fear and anxiety. And any of you who have roots in the Midwest know that there's kind of an anxious thing that happens in the Midwest. And I think some of it translates into our time that we live near what Max Lucado calls the river of if only I would be more grateful if only I'd be more content if only, if only this were to happen, then, then my heart would be better. If, if, if only I could find a way to get across this torrent of doubt and fear and stress. I believe, as many do, especially those who are in psychological and medical arts, that, that we live in a chronically anxious time. It's not that people throughout time haven't had anxiety. It's, it's just that it's not chronic. It's not piped into your phone. It's not emailed onto your computer. It's not turned on cable news networks. We have the anxiety pushed to us. And in some cases, we've made conscious decisions what to have pushed to us. And then you look at it and you're like, holy smokes. Grandpa got a newspaper every morning. He would read the newspaper, finish, and then stack it neatly in the porch. And that's what he did. It wasn't like today. Where you, can hardly, kind, you can't even hardly unwind your soul before it gets wound very, very tightly again. Maybe that's because we live by the river of if only. If only my spouse were better to me. If only my kids came to visit more. If only my son, if only my daughter, if only the president, if only the Congress, if only the judges, if only the people of California, if only the choir, if only the preacher, if only the people of the church, if only we could finally at one time get all of our stuff together and figure out where to go, then maybe we'd be content or happy or at least not so anxious. Chronic anxiety drains 300 billion, 300 billion dollars in lost time, in medication, and in mental and physical breakdown for men and women across our nation. I had to look at that statistic twice. I'm like, well, 300 million, I could see that. You got this and that and this and that, but 300 billion dollars, a third of a trillion dollars because people get so anxious 
the number one cause of health problem that women have in America are largely driven by chronic anxiety. A study of men showed something similar, except men maybe need to be a little more tough and macho in that. The number one driver of men's health problems was alcoholism, followed by chronic anxiety, which led me to read closer in that book that men want to medicate on alcohol and then can't mellow out. And now you have an addictive problem and a heart problem. You see, the stream, the river of if only, has a way of sucking us into the deep end and taking us down. And I believe it's only through conscious and deliberate reprogramming of our own minds through worship, through singing, and through scripture and meditation, that we're able to calm down in a way that makes us how God intended us to be. And I believe that in the Scripture Hall of Fame, this is one that's there. Psalm 23, of course. John 3.16, of course. Ephesians 2.8 and 9, of course. The Jeremiah verse that you sang about, of course. Lamentations 3, of course. Revelation 3 and 4, of course. But boy, Philippians 4, 4 to 7. Should we take a little quiz, see how we do? See how you paid attention to the lector today. It's okay. We'll be all right. They did great at 8 o'clock. Let's fill in the blanks and see how we do. Where's my, where's my, nine, uh, my Tuesday morning Bible study, guys? All right, fellas, here we go. Let's go, Dave. We got this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your kindness be, be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and wow with oh come on present your requests to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus oh my goodness I'm gonna cry that was awesome We don't have the furniture, we don't have the turkey, we don't have the stuffing, we don't have the recipe, we don't have the wine, we don't have the beer. We don't know who's coming. We know who's coming. We... <laughs> Philippians chapter 4. If you leave with nothing from church except their beautiful anthem and be anxious for nothing, you've been blessed today. That idea of gratitude, and I love this little definition that Max Licato gives in his book, Anxious for Nothing. Gratitude is the mindful awareness of the benefits of life. Mindful, deliberate, intentional. It's not that I'm fixing to be grateful, it's I'm going to be grateful. And here's what that looks like. Because gratitude leads us off the river of if only and escorts us into the fertile valley of already, which is a great place to live. The anxious heart says, Lord, if only I had this, that, or the other, I'd be okay. The grateful heart says, oh, look, you've already given me this, that, and the other. Thank you, God. For what are you grateful today what drives that sense of gratitude 
in your life. St. Paul was not penning the book of Philippians at the Ritz-Carlton in Rome. St. Paul was not anticipating a turkey dinner on Thursday with all the fixings. St. Paul was more than likely chained to a wall in a cell in a prison in Rome. And so, dictating this letter, probably with feeble vision and being hungry and maybe being sick because that's the way it was, and, and having withheld, having withstood three different uh, shipwrecks, the last of one, he said to the people, if we go this way, we're not going to make it. And now he's in jail. And he writes these words from jail. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. Verse 13 can also be translated, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens. What's the secret? Why wouldn't Paul tell us? And here's the secret. Ta-da! He doesn't do that. But he leads the reader through the book of Philippians, understanding that it's not happy people who are thankful, it's thankful people who are happy. He starts the, the, the whole book of Philippians with, I thank my God whenever I remember you. In every prayer I give thanks. Because of our partnership in the gospel from the first day until today. From the day where I was a young guy preaching the gospel by the river there to now being in jail. You see, it's not happy people that are thankful. It's thankful people that are happy. From jail or Orange County or Washington, D.C. or wherever. There's a profound sense of gratitude that paves the way for happiness and contentment. And it passes beyond and, and is deeper and richer than, than that which is contingent contentment. Well, I think I'll be happy if this, and maybe I'll be more content if that. If I just had a little more money, if I just had bought a, a, a nicer truck, I, if I would have got the Chevy and the GMC instead of the Ford, if I lived here instead of there, if I had this wife instead of that wife, if I could somehow, no, no, the contingent contentment leads us to be wounded and worried people because we obsess about what we don't have and always kind of marginalize that which we have. Well, you know, if I had a little more, I'd be a little more happy, which is categorically false. So what does the valley of already look like? Well, the valley of already looks like this. Oh, look, Lord, you've already given me this, that, and the other. And so those cards before you, you might be able to have a little crib sheet for Thanksgiving. What have you already have from God? When you look at your life, what do you already have? And if you're looking and saying, well, I don't have this, and I don't have that, I don't have the prospect of this, and I don't have the prospect of that, just stop with that. I had a choir anthem today that moved my spirit, but the Packers lost. <laughs> Who cares? But I watched that whole game with my wife in our house. But I don't have, but what do you already have? 
I've got two turkeys sitting in the garage. I've got a smoker, and when you put the turkeys with the smoker, they just turn out beautifully. And I've got a family and loved ones and friends and a congregation of people. What do you already have? And who do you already have? I'm always sensitive when I preach about this because I know there's people that are going to family situations where they're like, you know, Pastor, you can preach about the warmth of family and that's good for you. But if you only knew my family, and I get that. But who do you have in your life that just sharing a peanut butter and jelly sandwich with them on Thursday morning would be the best meal in the whole world? And what does that do to warm your heart? Who is already in your life that makes a difference and guides and leads you? Or where do you already see the goodness of God in your own life? And you can say, Lord, I've seen this plan. I've watched you do this. And I understand how this works, Lord. You see, the valley of already awaits you and your family and your friends. This week of thanksgiving. Locato writes, what you have in Christ is greater than anything you don't have in life. You have God who is crazy about you and the forces of heaven to monitor and protect you. You have the living presence of Jesus within you. In Christ, you have everything. Would you read that with me, please? What you have in Christ is greater than anything you don't have in life. You have God who is crazy about you and the forces of heaven to monitor and protect you. You have the living presence of Jesus within you. In Christ, you have everything. We can sing about that, we can pray about that, we can hear that, but that is one promise that is sealed in a way that no other promise to you has ever been sealed. That promise is sealed in the blood of him who would rather die than live without you, Jesus, your Savior. Jesus, who when he wakes up, thinks about you in gratitude, warmth. Jesus, who when he wakes up in the morning, orders all things for our good. Jesus, who didn't just make a promise and then walk away from it, but, but made a promise and then went up a hill to Calvary and died to seal that promise so that preachers 2,000 years later could rise up and speak with conviction about what God will do. Not wondering and hoping and going home and saying, well, that was a cute sermon and warm, but, but knowing with conviction in our hearts that he who began a good work in you on that cross of Calvary will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And how sure am I of that? Well, I am so sure of that because Jesus died and rose again from the dead. And he showed himself to the author of the book of Philippians and to the disciples and to over 500 other people. So that when Paul writes in Philippians 4, the Lord is near, I'm not afraid of God or afraid of punishment or wrath or anger or being put down or not approved of because all the yeses of God are made real for you and me on the cross. That's why he guides your, guards your heart and your mind. You are guarded with the spirit of the living Lord who'd rather die on a cross than live without you. It's he who bids you be anxious for nothing. And in that love, he holds your heart right here. No matter who comes to Thanksgiving, 
no matter whether it's a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or the best turkey and fixings in the whole world or a sugar cookie frozen with hot coffee out of grandma's porch freezer. Be anxious for nothing because in Christ Jesus, you have everything you need. Let's finish strong. Two more slides, and they're going to look real familiar. Let's try this again. What are we going to say where it says, let, are we going to say gentleness? Let your gentleness or kindness? What do you want to say? You tell me. Which one? Gentleness. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Okay, here we go. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, what a great day to be gathered together. We kick off what the world calls the holiday season, but we, we, we just transcend that, Lord. We know that Thanksgiving's on the way and that points to you as the giver of all good things. We look forward to Advent, Christmas, and the new year, not in anxiety and fear, but with anticipation, knowing that the good work you began in us, that one day it will be brought to completion. So bless those this morning who are kind of setting up camp by the river of what if. Help them break camp and move from there from the, to the valley of already to count blessings, to look at people as marvelous gifts of God and to have our hearts warmed by your grace for us in Jesus Christ. Thanks for our congregation for St. John's. For the warmth that's in this room, for the kind things that go on that no one ever sees and no one ever gets credit for, but that are marvelous blessings to those in need. So guide us and be with us through this time we have in November and December. Keep us strong in you, faithful to your word, faithful to our Lord Jesus. For in Christ we have everything we need. There's nothing that we don't have that we think we need because in Christ we have it all. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.